Welcome to the Ripple Effect Podcast. I'm Claire Ems and I'm talking positive parenting and positive development. I'll also be interviewing some amazing people who use their passions to spread the ripple effect to many other people. Thanks for joining us. So on today's uh, first podcast, we have Jackie Mayer. Um, she's a kundalini yoga teacher, she's a life coach, she's an author, she's a speaker, she's somebody that I became friends with by chance on, on Instagram and we've connected quite a lot and she's helped me a lot through through my own challenges. So I'm really glad that she could be with us today. So I hope you enjoy it. So hello and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It is awesome to be here. I'm so glad to have you as my first ever podcast interview person. <laughs> And I am honored to be that person. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Yes, me too. I've been looking forward to properly chatting to you for a while. So I think this is a, an awesome way to do it. <laughs> so um, before we start, um, I thought for my podcast, because it's parenting related, for each podcast interview I do, I'm going to ask people what their favorite parenting quote is at the moment. So do you have one that is your particular favorite at the moment? At the moment, yes, I do. So I'm actually reading a book and it's called, in fact, I'm going to start, yeah. How, how would you teach a fish to climb a tree? Oh, yes, I've heard of that one. Yeah, so it is actually a book that I'm busy reading at the moment. And the whole, the reason why I love it so much is because you can't measure all children by the same yardstick because they all have different gifts and different um experiences and they come from different backgrounds and they're just different people so you can't measure them all by the same yardstick and I think unfortunately um, in society we do way too much of that at the moment mm, yeah I agree and I think it leads to us doing it to ourselves as well <laughs> yeah I think that for a long time it's just been the, the societal thing to be put into your box and mm. to be measured by the same, I mean, like school is a great example. Like we yeah. all get measured by the same thing, but we actually all have different unique um, abilities and skills. And it's actually not a true test of what we're capable of, actually. Yeah. And actually speaking of that, I'm going to go a bit off topic just to start and then I'll come back to what I was going to ask you. Um, how did you choose schools for your kids, knowing that that's your mindset? Because that's something that I'm struggling with at the moment, because I don't think there is a school that suits what I'm looking for. No, absolutely. So my children were actually going to the most beautiful little Montessori farm school up the road from us as part of their pre-primary. And they loved it. They loved it. They thrived. They spent time in the trees and in the dirt and just doing lots of life skill type of stuff. Not very much coloring in and cutting out. And, mm. But they're two little boys, so it was actually mm -hmm. perfect for them. Um, but my husband was quite pro the idea of them going to a nor normal school, you know, yeah. mainstream school. Um, and I actually thought long and hard about it because this little school was starting to offer the grades as you go up, but the school was evolving and growing. Um, and I was quite keen to let my kids stay there because that school very much has a curiosity led based, um, syllabus for lack of a better word so the kids almost drive the syllabus so if they're going to do maths but at the moment they're really big into um, say for example dinosaurs then they'll use that as part of the curriculum so it's really amazing how they do it um, and they're really open and interactive with the kids and what the kids love 
but the school was still growing and learning, so we weren't 100% sure where they were going, which was a concern. But then the one day I had a really good, long, hard think about it, and I was like, you know what? If, for whatever reason, my children do decide to become, um, say, for example, an engineer or an accountant or a doctor, they are going to need a matric, which gives you the stepping stone into university, which is a requirement, et cetera, et cetera. But I can actually offer them at home all that other really great stuff. I just have to be a little bit more mindful about it. So, yeah, at the moment, my kids go to mainstream school. Um, I'm probably that mom that is always the pain in the neck at school, really uh, testing the teachers and asking why a lot and why not a lot. Um, but I'm like, I, I couldn't care. I'll be that yeah. mom. I don't mind. Do that. Be that mom. But, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll wear the T-shirt. I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> I think I will also um, be that mom. So. I'll get tips from you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not shy. Like, if I think something is for the better of the kids, I'm happy to like question the the what the, the status quo and 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 dig a little bit and maybe make people think a bit differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So then I just try give the kids all the other stuff that I think they they need at home. So all of the tools that they need just to be good, decent human beings, yeah. basically. And it's funny because I had this conversation recently with my mom and she also said to me, she said, school is not their whole life. School is a part of their life, but home is their, well, not their life, but I can do all those things that I want them to have at home. And I'm never going to find a perfect school, even if it does fit those criteria. So I'm glad you said that because it makes me feel better as well. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you think about it as well, like for my two boys, if there was such a thing as an ideal school, it would be ideal for one, but not for the other. So, yeah. And then they won't be together is, either. Yeah. Yes. So for us, the little school that they do go to, which is the local mainstream school, mm. it fits the bill in lots of other ways. So it ticks lots of boxes. Yes, it's not going to tick all the boxes, but that's fine. I think it's my job as a parent to make sure those other boxes then get ticked. Um, then... Moving on to some of the questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm really interested to hear about um, your journey into Kundalini and actually just what it is. Because I've done a Kundalini class and I wasn't prepared. I thought I was going to my normal Hatha yoga and I was like, what is going on? But this was years ago before I did a lot more meditation and stuff. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. Um. So my, my um, journey to Kundalini was in one way an accident, I suppose, but then I also don't really believe in accidents. So it, I kind of feel like it was um, the universe guiding me to it. I just didn't know that at the time. So I used to be very diligent about going to gym. And at the time at our gym, they had um, like a kickboxing aerobics class, which was great fun except I have no coordination. Like half the time, I do not know my left from my right. So I'm a disaster in the class. I'm also quite tall with long legs and arms. So I'm dangerous when everyone else is going left and I'm going right. So you can just, you can just imagine. I had to be at the back in the corner for everyone's sake, including my own. And we left the class the one day and we were outside the, the room chatting. And they started a yoga class right after us, as you do at a gym, because they're like all back to back. And I was watching this and I was like, I go, I think I can do this. It doesn't matter if you don't have your left and your right's right. Like, this is okay. So I, I tried a couple of classes um, and really, really enjoyed it. But being at a gym, 
it was always a beginner's class. So the one day I kind of decided, no, 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 I need a little bit more than just this beginner's class. And it's actually the weirdest thing, like in, in retrospect, because I walked across to the teacher and I chatted to her and I said, look, I'd really like to learn more about yoga. Um, do you have other classes? What do you recommend? Is there somewhere else I can go? And she looked at me and she was just like, you should go do teacher training. Just like that. Okay. All right. Like, tell me some more. So she gave me the phone number for her teacher for teacher training. So I got hold of this woman um, and honestly had no idea what I was getting myself in for. Because being in a gym environment, you can't really have a proper Kundalini class. So it was, she was a Kundalini teacher and it was, it was a Kundalini class, but it was like the real like a real introduction into it. So I really had no idea what I was getting myself in for. At the time I was working. So in South Africa at that point, there were only two teacher training courses. So the one was Kundalini and the other one was a um, uh, Ashtanga. The Ashtanga class, however, to become a teacher trainer, you had to take off a full month and dedicate a full month to this training. I was working and I couldn't afford a full month, but the Kundalini teacher training was over two years and it was a long, like a long weekend, every two long weekends a year for those two years. So I was like, okay, that's totally doable. I can, I've got time to do that. So that was, that was why I went with the Kundalini. And the first teacher training module I went to, my parents dropped me off. So I didn't have my own car. Um, went and i don't know i mean i like yeah i was expecting yoga like you normally see you know people trying to get themselves into a pretzel etc etc and it was nothing like that at all and in fact my first after that first session my parents came and fetched me and i was like i'm i'm not going back those people are weird those people are crazy i am not okay. going back that's exactly what I said the first time I saw Kundalini. So I'm excited to hear more. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Like it's not in my nature to start something and not finish it. So I suppose after like three, four months, whatever it was between the two, it came time for the next long weekend. So I was like, okay, maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe I was overreacting. So off mm-hmm. I go again. Again, my parents dropped me off. So again, no car. And I mean, this all like just, it all makes sense in the long run. But I was like, Again, left and I was like, no, those people are crazy. Like, I was like, no, I am not going back. I'm not going back. They are definitely crazy. Again, lots of time in between comes the third module. So I'm like, you've started it. You're halfway through. Suck it up. Just go through with it. And it's probably then at the third module that I yeah, I realized they're just the most beautiful people. And the Kundalini has just got the most beautiful and rich history and yes, it is a bit weird compared to other yoga if you're not prepared for it. Um, but it is also the most powerful yoga around, without a doubt. It shifts you very quickly out of whatever you're with um, into something else. And I think a lot of the reason why people either hate it or love it is because you've got all this baggage that we all accumulate. And the Kundalini very quickly brings it up for you to deal with. And lots of people don't want to deal with their baggage. And so they tend to be the people who don't like the Kundalini. Whereas others are just amazed at how quickly you can deal with stuff that you never thought you ever were going to deal with. 
Um, so it is a very powerful yoga. Um, it is always yoga, meditation, breath work, all in a class. Um, and it's a, a beautiful community of people as well. Like that's one thing at the moment, I'm like really missing all of my, my Kundalini yogis family, um, so to speak. Um, cause you're just like all really honest and really real. And I think everyone just is completely authentic mm-hmm. and it, it is, it's very powerful. And I think that's what scares a lot of people. So it, it is powerful and you do need to know what you're doing and you do need somebody to hold your hand. Um, but also as you kind of get to grips with it, you can, you can learn a lot more and you can integrate more of it into your life. Um, and it's interesting because you kind of think like it's not that big in South Africa, but it actually is when you get to know some more. Um, and people who love Kundalini are absolutely like that's it. They'll, they'll always have it as a part of their life going forward um, because of the changes they've experienced. And it is, it's epic. And I'm so glad that through this weird way, I found my way to Kundalini and to teaching it as well. Because I initially was also not going to teach. It was just like, no, no, this is just for me, just for me. But to get your certificate, you have to teach so many hours. So again, just my innate like personality was like, okay, well, I got to suck it up. I have to teach these couple of hours to get that certificate. Yeah. Discovered that I actually thoroughly enjoy teaching it. It's like one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Sure. I, yeah, any opportunity I get, I love to teach and share meditations and, and all those kind of things. I, yeah, love so it. So again, that was like a, a universe move a destiny move (laughs) no absolutely so it's like all these like gentle nudges in the right direction without knowing sure yeah exactly like i said at the time i was like oh my word those people are crazy those crazy people now are like some of my best friends oh that's so awesome and if i can ask as well if if someone was to go to a kundalini class what sort of things would they experience like what would is there still the normal like down dog like do you do that stuff as well or is it more the breath work and stuff so so it does kind of depend from teacher to teacher because obviously all the teachers are different um unlike your hatha classes which you tend to have a flow the kundalini classes don't have a flow so if you're going to do one pose you will do that pose for a few minutes and then you'll move to the next one and do that one for a few minutes they tend to also be quite repetitive um kundalini's love to chant which i think freaks people out um but if you think about it chanting is actually no different to singing really so you've just got to and it's amazing how quickly you become comfortable with it in the right environment um There'll always be a meditation. And in Kundalini, the physical part of the yoga is more to prepare your body so that when you do sit in meditation, you're not fidgety and, and faffing and fiddling. You're now like your body's happy so that you can now sit in meditation and go that much deeper, which I think is also what is so super powerful about it is it actually prepares you for a really good meditation session. Sure. I, I think so many people just think yoga and they see one thing. They don't realize there are so many different types and, and yeah, disciplines and stuff. So yeah, that's interesting. No, well, that's what I always have a good chuckle about. Like if you search on Instagram for yoga teachers, you'll always get pages and pages with people doing lots of yoga poses. And yet if you have a look at mine, I don't think there's any... <laughs> I don't think there's one single yoga pose. <laughs> That's funny, eh? Hey? It doesn't, 
doesn't make me less of a teacher though. No, no, not at all. And, and I'm sure every teacher comes with their own um, brand of, of who they are and yeah, what they bring to it sort of. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's why I've always said to anybody who comes to my class for the first time is that there is a yoga for everybody and it may not be Kundalini and that's yeah. also fine, yeah. but also I might not be their teacher. Um, I've got a very good friend who lives up from the road from me and I have, when she's been away, I've taught her classes and vice versa. And we've definitely noticed that if she has gone away for a, like a week's holiday and I cover her classes, a lot less people come to the class. Yeah. And it's not because they don't want to do the yoga. It's because I'm not their teacher. And yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I had that as a, I was a Pilates instructor actually before this as well. And I, I used to have that if I, when I had my kids, nobody wanted to go to another teacher. <laughs> they all wanted to just, you want to do what you know and what you're comfortable with and your person sort of. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's human nature as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Your comfort zones. Um, leading on from that, I wanted to ask about, because I know your story with um, how you used to be in the corporate world and how it led you to where you are now. I'd like to hear yeah, more about that, how you got to doing what you're doing. Yeah. So I worked in a male-dominated um, corporate world for yeah, 17 years. 17 years. Yeah. So it's quite a long, quite a long haul. And I mean, I wasn't in the same job for those 17 years. I obviously um, changed between jobs, but still in, in the whole corporate. And I have to admit, for the most part, while I was there, I actually enjoyed the work. Um, I was good at it. I was promoted on a regular basis and, and I was happy. I never wanted to climb the corporate ladder to be the CEO or anything like that, but it was meaningful work and I was paid well for it, which I was very happy with. But I definitely noticed that once I had kids, and particularly once they were going to school, like trying to juggle work, kids, a home. We live on a farm, so I had to travel in and out quite a bit. So there was a lot of traveling I was doing. I had to travel for work, which meant that I was then sometimes away from home some nights. Um, and eventually just got to the point where I ended up with adrenal fatigue. So by nature, I'm also a perfectionist and I like to get things done. So, you know, partly in my own fault too. But for six months, I was sick and none of the doctors, I went to different doctors, different specialists, and, and none of them could tell me what was wrong with me. They, I would be feeling sick, make the doctor's appointment, get to the doctor, and then I'd be feeling fine. And they'd run a whole series of tests and they were like, everything's normal. And so had done this a couple of times, ended up in hospital twice. The second time I was admitted to high care, so it was like pretty hectic. And that is when my, my local doctor, who also happens to do the medicals for the company I was working in at the time, she phoned me and she was like, when you get out of hospital, you're coming to see me straight away. I think I figured out what is wrong. Went to her office and she was like, you are burnt out. You have adrenal fatigue. You've been running on 120% for so long that your body has, has just had enough. Sure. And the thing with stress is that with different people, it manifests itself in different ways, which is why the adrenal fatigue is so difficult to, um, to diagnose because it'll show up differently in you to what it does to me because our bodies deal with stress differently. Um, but once she had said that and we'd gone through it, it was sort of like a light bulb moment. And she put me onto meds and things and she was like, okay, 
you need to give up work to recover. And of course, you're in that sort of place where like, I can't give up work. I've got bills to pay. I've got kids to feed. I've got like, no. But I was very fortunate in that the company that I worked for at the time were very understanding. And they said to me, okay, fine. Let's give you six months working half day and work from home as much as possible. No traveling. So they were very accommodating. I have to admit that. And so for those six months, things were actually not looking too bad. I was coping much better. Obviously, the medicines were starting to kick in and everything. Um, and then at the end of the six months, I went to the doctor and she was like, you need more time. You're not ready yet. So I was like, well, okay, so let's go have the conversation. And the company said to me, sorry, but this is what you're actually being paid for. You now need to come back. So, okay, fine. I need my job. I have all these bills to pay. Um, let me go back full time. And within six weeks, I had completely undone everything that I had managed to fix in the six months off. Sure. Yeah. So it was just like this huge eye opener. And my husband and I sat down and we were just like, this, this can't carry on. We have no plan B, but this can't carry on. And so I handed in my resignation. They were quite disgusted with me. They were like, no, 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 you can't do that. Like, we can help you. And I was like, no, guys, you want me to put a plaster over what the problem is by continually taking meds. I'm telling you, I want to fix the root cause of this problem. And my health and my family are much more important to me than this job. Yeah. So handed in my resignation, ironically had probably the most fun month of my year, of my working career in that last month. But I suppose it just didn't have all the stress and pressure attached to it. So that was why it was fun. But it was a nice way to leave. Um, and I have to admit, having taken that leap, so for one month, completely, I did nothing. I stayed at home, looked after myself, looked after my family and my kids, and then slowly but surely started to decide what I was going to do next. Where was I going to go? Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. It's like one thing that I, I've spoken to many, many women who are in the same situation, and they're also like, but I have bills to pay. What am I going to do? like you know what until you take that leap you don't know what you're actually capable of 